0: Before I get into uh, my sermon today, can we stand uh, and hear the gospel message from Mark today? I'll be preaching from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. It was two days before Passover and the festival of the unleavened bread. The chief priests and the legal experts, through cunning tricks, were searching for a way to arrest Jesus and kill him but they agreed that it shouldn't be during the festival, otherwise there would be an uproar among the people. Jesus was at Bethany visiting the house of Simon who had a skin disease. During dinner, a woman came in with a vase made of alabaster and containing very expensive perfume of pure nard. She broke open the vase and poured the perfume on his head. Some grew angry. They said to each other, why waste the perfume? This perfume could have been sold for almost a year's pay and the money given to the poor. And then they scolded her. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you make trouble for her? She has done a good thing for me. You will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do something good for them. She has anointed my body ahead of time for burial. I tell you the truth, that whenever the whole wherever the whole world has the good news announced, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. So, as Pastor Danny said, my name is Megan, and I'm a pastor at High Rock. Um, I do work a lot with adult discipleship and partnering with other churches and staff development. I live in Waltham, which is about 20 minutes from here with no traffic on a Sunday, thanks be to God. Um, I live there with my husband Brad and our two kids, Brady and Luke. We moved here from Chicago six years ago. Um, And I have to tell you, I, I love the communities that we get to be a part of since we moved here, but Chicago is always going to be home for me. I have it tattooed on my body. Like, my whole self just like settles. Anytime we drive into the city limits or, like, the plane wheels hit, I I feel like I am, like, coming back into myself every time I'm watching a Cubs game (laughs) or hanging out with my family that's still there. It is a blessing for me to get to go back home. And yet, moving here has blessed me too. I don't know that I would have said that, like, two years in, I was still like, Jesus, what are we doing? But I I can look back now and say, yeah. I've I've stopped running, uh, hence the knee surgery. I started doing CrossFit. Um, I had to learn how to make friends as an adult. P.S. That is very hard. (laughs) Um, I shaved off all of my hair, and I started making my own pizza because I will not have my children being raised thinking that the pizza that they can buy here is good pizza. I am from Chicago. Can I get an amen? (laughs) So there have been also some deeper things in my life, right, that have been blessings, too. I feel like I've grown in curiosity and empathy since we've moved here. I feel like I have a healthier sense of of boundaries for work and for rest. My marriage is stronger than it was six years ago. So, So these changes feel like proof of blessing in our move here. And in some ways, if I go back farther than that, I'm still the same person that I was 12 years ago. But if you would have told this version of me, that I would be living in Boston with a buzzed head, two kids, and serving in ministry, I would have considered those changes to be a total loss, not a blessing. See, 12 years ago, I was newly married, living in a sweet apartment in Chicago. I was working for a physical therapy company and, and climbing the ranks there. We had a great friends. We had a nice church. We were super comfortable. We had a growing nest egg. Like, I was, you know, hashtag blessed from my Facebook cringy posts at that time. But then I got pregnant, and it was like something in myself kicked into overdrive. I was so stressed out by the thought of not having enough for this child that I did everything that I could to make sure that that was going to happen. We moved out of the city into a bigger place. My husband started working extra side jobs, and I saved so much. I was trying to chase blessings right I didn't want to experience loss I didn't want my kid to experience loss all I wanted this kid to know was like what it felt like to be free but when I was chasing blessings when I was chasing freedom I just ended up feeling more trapped than ever because when I was so focused on securing our future I was stressed all the time it didn't matter how much money or space we had. I, I was not able to offer gratitude for much of anything. Instead of leaning into community, I just I pulled away and just kind of hunkered down in my own little bubble. Because there wasn't enough of me to go around. There wasn't enough of my time or my energy or my money. I needed to try to like, dig into myself so I could go get those blessings. I, I mean, I didn't have to think about other people when I was stressed out chasing freedom. That was, that was okay with me. Yes, yes, Jesus, I know that you said that I'm supposed to love God and I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but if I'm not taking care of me and mine first, well, how can I possibly have the capacity to love my neighbor? In hindsight, I don't like how that kind of behavior made me see myself, and I don't like how it made me see God or my neighbor. I put God in this benefactor role who was just sort of present watching me while all of these good things were happening in my life. And so if there was something that was off, something that felt less than good, that was on me to fix. right? God didn't really have anything to do with that. I had to work harder, hustle harder, get back into good, whatever that looked like, so that God would give me more blessings. So the blessings were the good things, and the stresses were the things that I had to work to fix. And and God was just sort of there, casually assessing the situation. Do you see how my understanding of what blessings were were just more about me than they were about God? It was all about me getting ahead, me getting secure, me being good enough to somehow deserve these good blessings. And it just happened to work out, so I could attribute it to God. And justify continuing acting these ways. But y'all, I needed to reimagine blessings. And I wonder if we need to reimagine blessings. Because chasing security and being stressed out along the way, it's not sustainable. And it's not really bringing any of us a full life. It's not bringing us freedom. Think about it. What do you think about when you consider what blessings look like in your life? Maybe it's getting into the right program or landing that job with the great starting salary. I mean, those are really wonderful. But then you get into it and you get consumed with the stress of having to perform in these roles. Or maybe it's finding that great partner or finding that elusive apartment after like searching forever. Phew, it's really great to get off Hinge, really great to get off Zillow. But it also means that the time that you used to spend seeking out that stuff on those apps, it's now just spent in that apartment with that partner. All those other friends that you used to see, all of that other time that you used to spend, the places that you would invest your time and energy in, oh, they're always going to be there later. Right now, I just need to enjoy this new safety, this new security. Enjoy these blessings. Friends, we all will encounter blessings in our life. But for those of us that are trying to follow Jesus, I think that we have to ask if our blessings are trapping us or if they are freeing us, moving us towards life or towards death. And I think our text today has a warning that if we are blessed through the world, we might not realize that we are heading towards death, heading towards being trapped. In our text today, we see the disciples meeting with Jesus in the home of a man. In this version of the text, it said a skin disease. You might have also heard this in other texts as a leper. This is is consistent about what we know about Jesus so far in Mark's gospel. He's made himself available to the rich and the powerful, but also to those who are on the margins of society, the blessed and, and then the rest. And yet it's only the people on the margins who are able to consistently see Jesus for who he is. Remember, in Mark, there's a demon-possessed man and a father and a mother whose children are dying. There's a woman who has been bleeding for years with no cure. In chapter 5, there's a woman whose daughter is possessed and a man who is deaf and mute in chapter 7. There's a blind man in chapter 8. These are all folks who would have been isolated from the community. They would not have been seen as being blessed because they would have just corrupted everybody else. They would have taken up too much time, too much energy, infected everybody else. But they were the ones who by faith reached out to Jesus. They trusted that Jesus was the only one who could make them whole, that he could bless them. I wonder if that was because there was nothing that they could do on their own power to change their situation, to change their lives, right? And so they cried out to Jesus, Jesus, create this change for me. Bring me freedom. Bring me healing. Bring me community. And so he offers them blessing, right? He heals them. And he brings them more freedom. He brings them back into the very communities that have excluded them. And and so this change that happens in their lives, it doesn't just change them as individuals, but it changes the whole community. I feel like that's a big difference in the way that I used to see blessings show up in my life. When I did receive a blessing, they made me feel more selfish, made me more protective, it made me more isolated. Do you relate to that at all? That anytime you find yourself winning, whatever that is in your life, that you can feel more lonely than ever? I think that there's something really messy in our culture and it's baked into the fabric of life in the US. And so I I don't know that we're always aware of it if we aren't paying attention. Anything that's good in our lives must be something that we have somehow earned because no one else is just going to give us anything, right? We exist in this meritocracy. And we all know that it's not helping us, right? Like, we all see the statistics or feel the effects of the mental health crisis. We all recognize the increasing increasing divisive nature of our society. We all know that this is worse than it's ever been or that's what the pundits will tell us. And so... Many of us, many of you might be in this place now where you're on the outside of influence, on the outside of power, like you can look at it and say, oh, someday, someday when I'm in charge, I'm going to change it. It's not going to be like this. Or, Or maybe you are starting to step into that place. I look at that for myself now, like I was not an executive pastor a few years ago, but I'm stepping into that place now where I have a little bit more influence, I have a little bit more power. I'm not gonna do things the way that other people have always done it, I'm gonna change it. But meritocracies are funny, right? They keep working in an undercurrent. We're never fully arrived, we're never fully there because as long as we are too caught up in trying to earn more blessings to maintain that sort of influence, to maintain that sort of power, At least for me, I was always scared that once I got it, I would lose it. And so I would spend more time trying to control money, trying to control my time and my energy as a way of maintaining power, as a a way of maintaining freedom. I was just more isolated and more stressed than ever. The disciples are sitting with Jesus at this table, There's a lot of political and societal pressure on them in that moment. We read that as they are meeting, the religious leaders of that time are planning to kill Jesus. She's like, oh, we're not going to do it right now. We don't want a cousin uproaring. Because Jesus had given his blessing to those people on the margin. Jesus had healed these folks. And it's changing things for the people who are in power, who are able to control things, who are able to influence things. They don't like that. It feels scary for them. Because if everyone can have access to God, even the lepers and the children and the women, well, you know, it's just a slippery slope until we start to include the Romans in that too. Doesn't this Jesus guy know that we as religious leaders were given a special promise from God? And it's our responsibility to keep access to God pure, to keep access to God neat, tidy. And y'all, I'm not trying to like totally bag on the religious leaders here I think that they started with good intentions they wanted to keep God's family protected they wanted to keep God's family safe and continuing to receive blessings right but when they turned entrance into God's family something that you had to earn they lost God's vision for what it could be but Jesus came and Jesus had God's vision It was a bigger vision than what the religious leaders could imagine. It was inclusive. And he had a vision for blessings that didn't have to be earned, but blessings that would bring freedom. He knew that with God, all things were possible. People can be healed. Communities can be restored. Families can be expanded to include the least likely people. But it wasn't going to be easy. Because the world tells us that in order order to stay safe and secure, in order to stay blessed, we have to earn those things for ourselves. We have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And maybe, for some of us, we have families or chosen families. And after we've pulled ourselves up, we're going to go bless those folks, too. That's the religious framework that we can operate out of. And that's the one that the religious leaders were operating out of, too. But Jesus isn't just talking about you or your family or your chosen family, just y'all being included in God's blessings. No, God is the one who gives out the blessings without any of us having to earn them. God's blessings are meant for everyone. Jesus had told his followers in Matthew, you have heard it said you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on the, both the evil and the good, and He sends the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Are you following Jesus? Do you consider yourself part of God's family? Then be like God with your blessings. God doesn't just help the crops of the righteous person who's earned it by sending the rain and the sun. No, God helps the person. Whose crops need to grow too, who's unrighteous. The person who can't earn their righteousness on their own. In this analogy, we realize that none of us can earn it. None of us can make the rain and the sun fall on us. Only God can. And God's blessings are expansive and they are for everyone. When I've been pretty self-assured and prideful, I look at the blessings that God has given me sort of as what God has given me. No, it's more like, yeah, I've earned this. I look at those blessings as mine. Of course, God is going to make the rain and sun fall on my crops. It's, it's justified the hoarding of my blessings in my life. It's okay that I'm spending my money and my energy and my time on me and mine. I've earned it. But there have been other times where I've been less assured, when I've been so much more aware of my own limits and my need for God. Because who realizes that there is so much more in this life that is a gift that we haven't earned? The rain and the sun are much sweeter when they've realized that they've been given just because you are loved just because you're you not because you've done anything to earn it it's much easier to share that sort of blessing so I was freaked out about having a kid and then after we had our son almost 11 years ago we found out that he had Down syndrome nothing in while he was in utero had flagged this I was like 24 there's no history of disability like that in our family And I had no idea what I was doing, y'all. I loved this kid, but I felt like I had no business raising a person with a disability. How could I ever be good enough to give him the life that he needed? Was he ever going to be good enough to make it on his own? But God makes the rain and the sun to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And friends, all of us are both. We're not just righteous, and and we're not just unrighteous. We're just human. My son Brady coming into our lives changed everything for my husband and me. There was nothing that he could do to take care of himself. There was nothing he could do to earn a blessing. We had to do everything for him, right? Feed him, change him, teach him how to roll over, walk, talk. And yes, he needed me to do these things with him, but... It was just because I wanted to love him, and I wanted to spoil him. He didn't need to do anything to earn that from me. He could be himself, and he was loved. Seeing him that way changed the way that I could see myself. If Brady didn't need to work to earn blessings or to be good enough, maybe that was true for me too. Maybe God loved me and wanted to bless me just because I was me. It took someone who was on the margins for me to see who God really was. A God who loved me and delighted in me and invited me to partner in love and delight too. The blessing of my son reminded me who I was. I was God's child. And if that was true, I didn't need to hoard anything. I could trust that God's provision would be for the things that I needed to do what Jesus asked me to do. To love God and to love my neighbor. That's it. That really just shifted my posture from from being selfish to being free, from from chasing security to experiencing joy. The implications meant that I couldn't be tight-fisted with love or care or money or property. Any of these things that were blessings in my life were not just for me. They were from God for us. Just because that, hasn't, that has not been freeing doesn't mean that it's always been easy, right? It means that we have since made intentional choices about where we live, for instance. So a year into our life in Massachusetts, we had, we'd moved first to Waltham. Uh, a family from our church offered to give us a four-bedroom house to live in in Wellesley. Uh, this was a huge increase from the 800-square-foot apartment that we were living in. One bedroom and one something that was, like, not actually a bedroom. There was no closet. <laughs> But the more that we like, considered whether or not we should take this family up on this offer, we couldn't shake the feeling that it wasn't going to help us love God and our neighbor better. And so on the surface, it looked like a blessing. But in reality, it would have trapped our family. I knew my own heart was too prone to, to self-reliance, to try to make it on my own. And so moving into a community where that pressure is exacerbated by the very way that the neighborhoods, schools, and relationships are set up, I think it would have been too hard for me. That would have been too much for our family to work against. And, and some people can honestly thrive in that environment. Like, I, I have the privilege of being able to pastor some of those folks, and I am amazed by the generosity that they have with what God has given them. But I think for me that would have been too hard, too hard because I saw in my own heart that I wanted to believe the lie that if I worked hard enough, I could win on my own, that I could secure my future, that I could secure my family's freedom. But in our current neighborhood, we live next to blue collar immigrants and refugees. When you cannot physically distance yourself from your neighbor's needs, it helped me be more aware of my own need for help. I had to be physically reminded how I was able to help others every day. It reminded me that none of us can be free until all of us are free. So, in our neighborhood, I mean, we were shoveling each other snow and we were helping get groceries for each other when we found out somebody lost their job. We had a family on our block um, when the ice raids were happening. You know, we were their emergency contact. And at one point, like, folks came through potential ice raids and they sent their whole family to go hide in our apartment. (laughs) Like, it was that sort of knowing each other's stories that made it real. We know these are the folks who, even though we don't speak the same language, are watching my kids, are including my disabled son in everything. The kids don't play a game if he can't play it with them. I see that modeled from my neighbors. I didn't want to leave that because I needed to live with people on the margin so I could see Jesus' reminder of what true freedom was. The world is going to tell me that blessings are just meant for me. But Jesus' blessings remind us of who God is and who we are so that we can be a blessing to others. So we stayed in that 800-square-foot apartment for another four years, and this year we were actually able to buy a townhouse right across the street. It's only 400 square more feet (laughs) more square feet but that was so huge when I did have my knee replacement in October because it meant that my sisters and brother could come and stay with us while I was recovering and and now that I'm past the point of needing people to stay with us to help we're praying about having an elderly neighbor move in with us because she can't take care of herself anymore so we're gonna lose that square footage again if she moves in but it doesn't feel like a loss at all, in the same way that it probably would have, you know, six years ago. Because this blessing of this extra space has helped our family, but it was never just meant for us. God's blessings for freedom are always bigger than that. And, and Brad and I don't feel anxious about that possibility. Honestly, that's such a different posture than I had, and I give thanks to God for that because the blessings that God gives us really can change us. Back at that dinner table, Jesus and his friends are interrupted by a woman who anoints Jesus with an expensive oil. These disciples get so angry with Jesus that she just wasted this perfume on anointing him. Shouldn't this blessing be used to help the poor? And and just like the religious leaders who are trying to keep God's family small, the disciples, they have good intentions with this reprimand of Jesus. Because remember, they've been traveling with him. And Jesus told them, don't take anything with you when you travel. Be dependent on, the, on other people to give you food and shoes and clothing. And, and they've also had to wrestle with how to provide for 5,000 people on zero source of income just a few chapters earlier. So when they see this oil being poured out on Jesus' body, I wonder if they can't help but think of how scarce money has been. How nice it would be if they could keep some of the money yes of course to help the poor too but at at least we wouldn't have to be scrounging all the time to come up with money to help the poor right we would be more secure we'd be able to give more this way Jesus it seems that even though they have been traveling with Jesus they still have problems seeing who Jesus is who God is they couldn't trust that God's provision might be bigger than what they could see right in front of them. But this woman could see. People on the margins don't have to pretend like they can make it in this life alone. She did what she could. This woman, who entered a male-only space, saw Jesus for who he was and what he was going to do. And so like a prophet in the Old Testament, she anoints Jesus as king, the only one who could ever be worthy of a blessing, the only one who could ever earn it, was anointed by one of the ones he came to save. The blessing of Jesus reminded him who he was and who God was so that he could continue to go on and bless the world. Because from this place, Jesus heads to the cross. And there he'll take on all of the sin that this world has for us. All of the things that trap us and make us anxious. All of the things that make us feel like we have to make it on our own. Jesus makes them irrelevant forever. Because in two weeks we will celebrate that even though death couldn't stop God's love for us. Easter is is more than just this time to to celebrate that Jesus has conquered death, right, it's a time to be reminded that we are human, which means we don't have to make it on our own. We're loved by the creator of the universe who calls each one of us children. This woman just did what she could, and she helped encourage Jesus towards his death. But this death offered life to the world. Imagine what it would look like for this community to encourage one another towards the things that we might need to put to death in our own lives? Would we be able to stop chasing the false blessings that cause anxiety and isolation and instead receive and give out blessings that bring freedom for all? This week, I encourage you to spend some time examining where you spend your time and your money and your energy. Do you find that with your time, you're most engaged in trying to secure freedom for yourself? Or are you engaged with the folks around you to know what freedom would look like for them, too? If we follow the way of Jesus, we know that we may have to put our own agendas to death for the sake of loving God and our neighbor. But we also have the promise that when we do that, it's going to bring freedom. Y'all, many of you are at a place in your lives where you might be able to set intentional choices that will affect the trajectory of your whole life. If you start putting those practices now of putting your own agendas aside, I promise you that it's going to be so much easier than if you have to undo that later in life like I had to. We had, we, my husband and I had a lot of work to do. <laughs> I mean, honestly, thank God for the pandemic in some ways, right? Like we had to do some work to undo what we thought blessings were. And I want more for you than that think that you can bless other people around you, starting now. So as you reflect on how you use time and energy and money, consider what you might be invited to shift to start living in that freedom now. And after you've spent some time reflecting on that, I invite you to share that with someone else. Maybe that's your partner if you have one, or a small group, or one of your pastors. See if someone that you talk to can help you discern the things that you're wondering. Should I be setting this aside? Is this something that God wants to take from me? I think that this work takes our whole lives. (laughs) But I think the act of sharing it with each other reminds us that we are not alone. That seeking freedom with Jesus means seeking freedom for all. And we're not doing this just as humans, right? No, we are bound up by God the Creator, Jesus the Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit who sustains us as we seek to love God and our neighbor. Thanks be to God.